MSW Media. Thanks to Thuma for supporting the Daily Beans. Create that feeling of checking into your favorite boutique hotel at home with The Bed by Thuma. Go to thuma.co slash beans and use code beans to receive a $25 credit towards your purchase of The Bed, plus free shipping in the continental U.S. And a big thanks to Splendid Spoon for supporting the Daily Beans. Splendid Spoon sends delicious plant-based meals and snacks designed to fit into your busy schedule instead of taking time out of it. Go to SplendidSpoon.com slash Daily Beans for $50 off your first box when you subscribe. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, July 11th, 2022. Today, Trump White House counsel Pat Cipollone testified for eight and a half hours behind closed doors with the 1-6 committee on Friday. New details about the Oath Keepers emerge in a Department of Justice filing. Donald waives non-existent privilege for Steve Bannon. Joel Greenberg's sentencing date has been set, leaving questions about an indictment for Matt Gates. A judge denies Georgia Republicans' motions to defy grand jury subpoenas. Elon Musk notifies Twitter he's backing out of the deal. And new details emerge on the assassination of former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody, it's AG, Allison Gill. I'm here with you today to bring you the beans. The Sunday shows are alight with information about the Patsy Baloney testimony. And we have a statement from the committee spokesperson, Tim Mulvey, who said, quote, in our interview with Mr. Cipollone, the committee received critical testimony on nearly every major topic it's in, in its investigation, reinforcing key points regarding Donald Trump's misconduct and providing highly relevant new information that will play a central role in upcoming hearings. This includes information demonstrating Donald Trump's supreme dereliction of duty. The testimony also corroborated key elements of Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony. Allegations of some pre-interview agreement to limit Cipollone's testimony are completely false, unquote. So, interesting. And just one more sleep before we get to see some of that corroboration. I'll be live tweeting the entire hearing over on Twitter, at MullerSheWrote. Please follow me if you're not already. You can keep up with the play-by-play if you're not able to watch it on TV. We do have a ton of news to get to, as evidenced in the intro. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Well, Bannon and Trump are up to no good, I'm sure. This weekend, Donald wrote a letter to Steve waiving all privileges, quote unquote, and allowing him to testify to the 1-6 committee. But the thing is, that privilege never existed, nor was it Donald's to waive. Only the current president holds the keys to executive privilege. And even so, Bannon wasn't a government employee. We know this. We're noticed. We've talked about this a million times. Not to mention, has Steve handed over any documents that were subpoenaed? Kyle Cheney tells us this morning that uh, his lawyer said that he does intend to hand over documents. But, you know, Bannon faces two counts of contempt, one for testimony and one for documents. So even if appearing now after charges and just a week before his contempt trial is set to begin could cure the testimony part of his contempt charges, he would need to hand over the documents as well. So what's the deal here? Why would Donald all of a sudden agree to let Bannon testify? I put let in quotes. And why does Bannon want to? There's a few factors at play here. First, Bannon is a convicted felon and is facing a longer sentence than just the minimum 30 days per count. So he's probably scared of prison. 
And it looks like he's going to lose. And so this might be his attempt to cure this last minute, which he may be able to do. Andrew and I will go over that on uh, cleanup on aisle 45 on Wednesday. But it's very interesting. A few factors at play, including the desire by Donald to get all the information he can about what the committee knows. We already know Donald's paid for lawyers for at least a dozen witnesses in the committee's investigation, including Cassidy Hutchinson, who he gave, I think, that guy Passantino 93 grand to uh, represent her. And so, you know, dozen, at least a dozen witnesses in the committee's investigation. And we know that some called Hutchinson, some of some folks called Hutchinson, intimidating her by saying Donald reads the transcripts. So it appears here that this could be another ploy to get information from the committee to Donald. Another possibility is for Bannon to try to cure his contempt, as I said. But like I said before, he would also need to produce the documents. And if he does that, he may be able to cure this. He's already been charged. His trial is set to begin July 18th. Though he has filed a motion asking the court to delay his trial for three months, because all of the crazy media reporting about him with regards to the committee's public hearings. But the DOJ argued that he is the one causing all the hubbub, which brings me to another motive to testify with the committee to create the media circus he claims is preventing him from getting a fair trial. The DOJ pointed this out in a filing on Friday. Now, think about it. He argues, oh my God, the media is all up on my jock. And the DOJ says no one cares about you. And uh, you even said the committee ratings were shit. So Bannon agrees to testify to get info to Donald about what the committee knows, cure his contempt, and create the media he claims would taint a jury, giving him a better argument to delay his trial should it go forward, which it probably won't at this point. I mean, if in fact he does actually cure his contempt. And all he has to do to cure this contempt is show up and plead the fifth, right? That's all he has to do and hand over documents, which he can slow roll, which would delay his trial anyway. But have you ever known Donald to do anything that didn't benefit his own interests? So what could Donald gain by, quote unquote, waiving non-existent privilege? Seems to me he's trying to cure something, too. Let me read you some tweets I posted on May 31st when the public got a hold of a mystery subpoena for Pete Navarro from the Department of Justice. Department of Justice, not the committee. I tweeted CNN has obtained a copy of the Navarro DOJ subpoena, and I have some thoughts The subpoena is for documents relating to the 1-6 committee's subpoena to include communications with Trump. He's the only other person named in this Navarro subpoena. I went on to say, I wouldn't think that targets are subpoenaed in contempt of Congress cases, see Bannon, which makes me think Navarro is a witness in another case that involves Trump. But what are they going after Donald for in relation to the Navarro contempt case? Per usual, I have a theory. Remember how the Mueller investigation had two main parts, the Trump-Russia probe, and the investigation into Donald's obstruction of the Trump-Russia probe. Could the DOJ have an investigation open into obstruction of the January 6th committee? That could explain how Navarro is a witness in a case where Donald is the target. But this could just be a subpoena for Navarro's contempt. Remember how the DOJ got a hold of Bannon's lawyer's phone records? And here's a quote. It's not clear whether efforts to obtain Costello's records are connected to the Bannon case. Department of Justice can just get Costello's stuff without notifying Costello under 18 U.S. Code 2703 C3. But with a former president might be trickier. Either that or the Department of Justice already has the communications. 
So why is the DOJ going after information about communications for those who advised targets of the 1-6 committee to defy their subpoenas? Could just be part of the contempt probe, or maybe it's obstruction. We shall see. End. Well, Bannon's lawyer Costello filed a motion in court late Friday in the Bannon contempt case. Costello says, The issue currently facing me is the court has yet to determine if I will be permitted to testify on behalf of Steve Bannon in his trial. If the court decides to prevent me from testifying, there will be no pathway to inform the jury about the communications with the committee or the three prosecutors in this case who interfered with attorney-client privilege by attempting to turn me into a witness against my own client by subpoenaing my home, office direct line, and cell phone records, while at the same time failing to obtain my social media information. If that weren't enough, Costello continues, those same prosecutors turned what I thought would be a declination discussion into an FBI 302 interview of me to be used against Bannon. Since it appears there will be a trial, and since it appears at this point in time I might be called as a witness, I must reluctantly ask the court to grant my request to withdraw as counsel for Steve Bannon. Unquote. What's that you say? You've been interviewed by the FBI in the Bannon case? Was it because you advised him to defy his subpoena? An obstruction of Congress is a crime, and discussions in furtherance of a crime cannot be privileged? So that tracks, because remember, quote, it is not clear whether efforts to obtain Costello's records are connected to Bannon's case. I don't think they are. An obstruction investigation is not part of Bannon's case, if that's what's happening here. And you don't need his lawyer telling him not to come in his contempt case. So is the DOJ investigating obstruction of the committee's investigation? Let's look at 18 U.S. Code 1503, obstruction of justice. Says someone obstructs justice when that person has a specific intent to obstruct or interfere with a judicial proceeding. For a person to be convicted of obstruction of justice, that person must not only have specific intent to obstruct the proceeding, but the person must know, one, that a proceeding was pending at the time. Two, there must be a connection between the endeavor to obstruct justice and the proceeding. That's the nexus. And three, the person must have knowledge of the connection. And 1503 applies only to federal judicial proceedings. Under 18 U.S. Code 1505, however, a defendant can be convicted of obstruction of justice by obstructing a pending proceeding before Congress or a federal administrative agency. A pending proceeding could include an informal investigation by an executive agency. So that's obstruction of Congress. And it's federal law. That one says whoever with the intent to avoid, evade, prevent, or obstruct compliance in whole or in part, with any civil investigative demand duly and properly made under the Antitrust Civil Process Act, willfully withholds, represents, removes from any place, conceals, covers up, destroys, mutilates, alters, or by other means falsifies any documentary material, answers to written interrogatories, or oral testimony, which is the subject of such demand or attempts to do so, or solicits another to do so. Or, Whoever corruptly by threats of force or by any threatening letter of communication or influence obstructs, impedes, or endeavors to influence, obstruct, or impede the due and proper administration of the law under which any pending proceeding is being had before any department or agency of the United States or the due and proper exercise of the power of inquiry under which any inquiry or investigation is being had by either the House or any committee of either House or any joint committee of the Congress shall be fined under this title in prison not more than five years. 
That Navarro subpoena from the Department of Justice made me wonder. And now the Costello motion to withdraw his counsel and Donald trying to waive non-existent privilege seems to me like maybe Donald received a notice saying he's being investigated by the Department of Justice for obstruction of Congress and he's trying to cure that for himself. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. We shall see. Next up, former White House counsel Patsy Baloney's meeting with the select committee investigating the insurrection yielded, quote, relevant information from the panel, though he claimed privilege in some areas. And that's according to one committee member in an interview airing on Sunday. Quote, he claimed privilege on conversations that related to the advice he provided directly to the president or conversations with the president. That was Rep. Stephanie Murphy in an interview with Meet the Press. Now, I think we still got a lot of relevant information from him, she said, and it provides us another perspective on what's happening in the White House in those weeks running up to January 6th that were so critically important. Cipollone met with the panel for more than eight hours on Friday. He reached an agreement to sit for a transcribed interview after the committee subpoenaed him late last month. Quote, I think there was a lot of information that fit into this bigger puzzle that we're putting together, Murphy said. And we have different voices about the same meeting and more or less telling the exact same narrative. The overall message that we've been gathering out of all these witnesses is that the president knew he lost the election or that his advisors had told him he lost the election and that he was casting about for ways in which he could retain power and remain the president. As top White House lawyer, Cipollone could be a key source of information about Trump and his allies' attempts to overturn the results of the election. In her public testimony, for instance, Cassidy Hutchinson said Cipollone warned of legal culpability if Trump went to the Capitol with his supporters on January 6th. That was a conversation he had with Hutchinson, not Trump. Murphy said the select committee was able to get Cipollone to confirm the concerns that he did have about efforts to subvert the election. Mm hmm. Quote, he made very clear that he took the side of many folks that you've already seen come before the committee. And he was asserting that there wasn't enough evidence to prove that the election was not free and fair. That was Murphy again. Asked if Cipollone's testimony will be featured publicly this week. Murphy said, I imagine you'll be hearing things from Mr. Cipollone, but also from others that were in the White House. The panel is slated to hold this hearing Tuesday. That's tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern on the convergences between Trump world and extremist groups such as the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers surrounding the January 6th attack. And another hearing is probably going to happen this week. It hasn't been announced by the committee, but we're expecting a Thursday primetime hearing. Murphy is expected to lead Tuesday's hearing along with Jamie Raskin. The Maryland Democrat said on Sunday, CBS Face the Nation, they plan to highlight a Trump tweet from December 19th, 2020, proactively calling people to join the January 6th protests. Raskin noted the tweet came just hours after the president met with allies and the White House about schemes to overturn the election. That's the meeting I want to hear about. That's what I'm hoping Pat Cipollone testified to. Privilege does not count when you're in the room with a bunch of Congress members. Third party exception. Quote, people, we hear the story of that tweet and then the explosive effects it had on Trump world and specifically among the domestic violence extremist groups, the most dangerous political extremists in the country at that point, Raskin said. He also said they plan to discuss the fundamental importance of a December 18th meeting in the White House where Trump allies came in to try to urge several new courses of action, including seizing voting machines. Trump allies such as Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani were part of that meeting. While against this team crazy were an inside group of lawyers who essentially wanted the president at the point to acknowledge that he had lost the election and were far more willing to accept the reality of his defeat. The select panel didn't expect to have witnesses who were at the meeting speaking publicly about it on Tuesday, Raskin said, though they were going to present other evidence. 
Raskin told the Sunday shows that Cipollone would be featured tomorrow, along with other witnesses he can't talk about. I wonder if Sarah Matthews will be among them. She's that deputy press secretary that uh, resigned on January 6th. And the Justice Department released new details Friday evening of the alleged extensive planning by the Oath Keepers to prepare for violence in D.C. on January 6th, including lessons to conduct hasty ambushes, a death list of Georgia election officials, and attempts to acquire homemade firearms. And I, ha- I can't help but wonder if those Georgia election officials are Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss. The details, many of which have not been alleged publicly before, were revealed in a court filing from the Department of Justice, which includes a list of evidence that prosecutors intend to use against Oath Keepers during their trial in September. Prosecutors will attempt to prove that nine Oath Keepers charged with seditious conspiracy, Rhodes, Meggs, Harrelson, Watkins, Menuda, Hackett, Marshall, Caldwell, and Vallejo extensively prepared for violence and plotted to stop Biden from assuming the presidency. All nine have pled not guilty and have denied allegations of preparing for participating in violence on January 6th. Stuart Rhodes has also said he would he would love to testify before the committee, but only in public and on television. It has to be on the major networks, not just C-SPAN, he says. Yeah, kick rocks, you seditious piece of shit. Now, Fulton County judge has denied a motion to challenge subpoenas by two state lawmakers to testify in front of her special grand jury looking into potential election tampering by Trump. The special grand jury was seated in May at the request of Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis, who said in a letter to the county superior court chief judge that her team believes 2020 general election was subject to possible criminal disruptions and is looking into any coordinated attempts to unlawfully alter the outcome of the 2020 election in this state, unquote. Fulton County Superior Court Judge McBurney, we've talked about him, ruled Wednesday that Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan and former state Senator William Legon have to testify in front of the grand jury, but set limits on what grand jurors can ask them and other state lawmakers who were summoned. Attorneys for Duncan and Legon tried to say that legislative privilege protected them from having to testify at all. But the Georgia Constitution says no member of the General Assembly shall be liable to answer in any other place for anything spoken in either house or in any committee meeting of either house. McBurney said that's important to allow lawmakers to speak freely to each other while conducting legitimate legislative activity. As a result, McBurney wrote in his order, prosecutors and grand jurors cannot ask a lawmaker about anything he said while participating in any session of the legislature, but be that on the floor of the body or in subcommittee. That includes conversations and documents prepared by a lawmaker or legislative staff. Elected officials' motivations for actions taken during a legislative session are not subject to scrutiny by a grand jury, he wrote. Lawmakers also may not be asked about direct communications with other legislators in prepping for any legislative session or drafting any legislation or official report, McBurney wrote. But legislative privilege does not extend to communications with private citizens on topics related to the grand jury investigation, even if those communications took place during the performance of legislative duties. McBurney also denied a request from Legon to delay his testimony before the grand jury until September to accommodate his lawyer's trial schedule. The judge said Legon must be available to testify for two hours while the grand jury is meeting Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday of next week. I'm interested to see how Lindsey Graham's argument against his subpoena pans out in light of this decision about these two other guys. And the man who Rep. Matt Gates once described as his wingman will be sentenced in his sex trafficking case December 1st, 2022. That's according to a federal judge on Friday, roughly a year after he reached his plea agreement. Senior U.S. District Court Judge Gregory Presnell indicated he would not be inclined to postpone his sentencing again beyond August. Quote, please note that absent compelling circumstances, 
It is a court's intention to set sentencing in August of 2022. That's Presnell, a Bill Clinton appointee. He said that on May 16th of this year. That was before Greenberg's attorney, Fritz Scheller, sought to file papers under seal touting the extent of his client's cooperation with federal prosecutors. Quote, pursuant to his plea agreement with the government and to mitigate the significant penalties he faces, Greenberg has been cooperating with federal prosecutors in active investigations currently being conducted by the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Middle District of Florida and the Department of Justice in Washington, D.C., as well as in other jurisdictions. That was a three-page motion on Tuesday. The unopposed motion to set the date for the sentencing hearing provides confidential information concerning these investigations, as well as information regarding the nature and extent of Greenberg's ongoing cooperation. That Greenberg's filing persuaded the judge to grant another adjournment, one that he had been disinclined to provide absent compelling circumstances, has intrigued court watchers, according to uh, Adam Klasfeld. Former federal prosecutor Renato Mariotti noted that the additional four months would not afford enough time for Greenberg to testify in a hypothetical prosecution of Gates, who has not been charged with any crimes. Quote, typically, sentencing dates are not sent or set until the cooperation of a defendant is fully complete. That's what Renato said in a phone interview with Long Crime. By that, I mean, not just that they've provided information to the government, but they've testified at any trials or hearings that the government would require. Mariotti pointed out pro-Trump General Michael Flynn's about face as an example, how it's not uncommon for defendants to reverse themselves on a cooperation deal. The prospect of future sentencing, Mariotti noted, gives the government leverage to compel a defendant to fulfill obligations to cooperate. If you sentence him, he doesn't have, you know, incentive anymore to, to be a good witness in your trial. Since Gates has not faced any charges to date, Renato noted that it's inconceivable to imagine that prosecutors anticipate Greenberg will hypothetically testify against the congressman before December. It suggests to me, he said, either Matt Gates will not be charged or that Mr. Greenberg will not be needed as to testify at trial of Mr. Gates. It doesn't mean he hasn't cooperated against Gates, but it may be that his cooperation was limited to the production of texts, emails, things like that, or perhaps given information that authenticated some of that. So I don't know. On one hand, it seems likely Matt Gates won't be charged. But on the other hand, it seems likely that he wouldn't be a good witness, Greenberg. And maybe they just needed the texts and documents from him to use at a hypothetical Matt Gates trial. What I can say is I don't think that they've made a declination decision. I don't think they've formally declined to prosecute Matt Gates because you know who'd be squawking about that. Matt Gates, And Elon Musk wants to end his $44 billion deal to buy Twitter, according to a letter sent uh, by a lawyer on his behalf to the company's chief legal officer Friday. But Twitter's board, Brett Taylor, the chair, said the company is still committed to closing the deal at the agreed upon price. And he, he's, they've put, put together a team of lawyers to sue the shit out of Elon Musk to force him to buy it. You know, I mean, he's got all sorts of claims here. There's too many bots. You didn't give me the Twitter has failed or refused to provide information. Sometimes Twitter has ignored Musk's requests. Sometimes it has rejected them for reasons that appear to be unjustified. Sometimes it has claimed to comply while giving Musk incomplete or unusable information, etc. So we'll see what happens in that. Now, Twitter has a reason to seek to hold Musk to his original terms, because the stock has fallen considerably since the board announced it accepted his offer to buy the company at fifty four twenty a share. On the day of that announcement, the stock ended trading at fifty one seventy. 
Twitter shares sat at $36 or so as of Friday's market close. So they want that money. Musk is apparently paying attention to the stock price, too. According to a letter, he said, and is considering whether the company's declining business prospects and financial outlook constitute a company material adverse effect, giving Mr. Musk a separate and distinct basis for terminating the merger agreement. It doesn't. And the final story today, Prime Minister Fumio Kishida's ruling Liberal Democratic Party and its coalition partners will secure a two-thirds supermajority in the nation's parliament, according to projections from Sunday's election, a powerful showing, possibly bolstered by extra support following the assassination on Friday of its one-time leader and policy architect, former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. Sunday's election took place as the nation reeled from Abe's assassination. In Nara, where Abe was killed, a long line of supporters waited throughout the day to show their respects. Before LDP officials counted their votes for that night, they spent a moment of silence in memory of Abe. The man accused of assassinating Abe on Friday told investigators he believed Abe was linked to a religious group he blamed for his mother's financial woes. On Sunday, a Tokyo-based representative of the Family Federation for World Peace and Unification, which in Japan was formerly named the Japan Unification Church, confirmed that the man's mother is a member. Details about the gunman's motives are under probe, but the official's confirmation Sunday added another piece to a puzzle that's coming together in the aftermath of Abe's assassination at a Friday campaign event in Nara, east of Osaka, which rocked a country where gun violence is unheard of. It's unheard of. In fact, the, the, the gunman wanted to use explosives. He built this gun himself. All right, everybody stick around because uh, we have the good news segment coming up. If you have any good news, Please send it in to me this week. I am lonely. My Dana is out on a on a job doing the comedies. And so I need your good news stories. You can send them in at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And we'll be right back with that. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG. When the weather is warm, I love to go out and explore. I love to go on hikes, runs. It's important to refresh and refuel after a long summer getaway, by the way. So whether you're planning a big summer trip or recovering from one, it's important to give your body the fuel it needs to feel its best. With Splendid Spoon, you can enjoy a clean, delicious, stress-free meal in just minutes. Splendid Spoon takes the work out of eating healthy by delivering ready-to-eat plant-based meals, smoothies, and juices right to your door. Lately, I've been using the orange hibiscus smoothie to beat the heat. It's brimming with heart-healthy antioxidants, and it tastes amazing. Literally sunshine in a bottle, minus the tan, to be fair. Splendid Spoon meals are shipped right to your door, ready to enjoy in just minutes. If it's any schedule, and there's a meal plan for everyone, every single meal is 100% plant-based, gluten-free, and GMO-free. And with over 50 choices and a constantly rotating menu, there's always something new to try. It saves time and energy, and it's delicious. So stay well-fueled this summer with Splendid Spoon. Get started today and save on an entire week of ready-made plant-based meals. Just go to SplendidSpoon.com slash DailyBeans for $50 off your first box when you subscribe. That's $50 off at SplendidSpoon.com slash DailyBeans. And as you know, I recently gutted my house, remodeled the whole thing, got rid of an ex-husband in the process. And, you know, I kind of feel like in every place I've been that I've tried to do remodels or redesigns, the bedroom always gets left out. But not this time. I was recently able to give my bedroom a refresh by using Thuma. Thuma practices an intentional, less is more design philosophy for the bedroom with clean lines, subtle curves, and lifestyle enhancing details is so calming and zen-like. Thuma proves simplicity is the truest form of sophistication. I bought the bed by Thuma, handcrafted from eco-friendly, high-quality, upcycled wood. You'll find beautiful, unique variations in the natural grain. 
It's got a minimalist design. It features Japanese joinery. It helps elevate any space. It's super supportive of your mattress. It's breathable. It opens up your room and it's made to naturally minimize noise. I love mine. It looks fantastic. It's beautiful. Made for how you live. The bed by Thuma is backed with a lifetime warranty. Lifetime. Ships right to your door in three easy to maneuver boxes. Takes about five minutes to assemble. No tools required. I could build it myself. I I did. Along with the bed, Thuma offers other bedroom essentials to elevate the bed. The nightstand, the side table, the tray, they're all perfect complements to the bed. So you can create that feeling of checking in your favorite boutique hotel suite, but at home with the bed by Thuma. And now go to thuma.co slash beans to receive a $25 credit towards your purchase of the bed, plus free shipping in the continental U.S. Go to Thuma, T-H-U-M-A dot C-O slash beans. Again, that's Thuma.co slash beans for a $25 credit. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news? Good news. Good news. All right. If you have any good news, confessions, corrections, things that you're making and creating, if you have a small business that needs a shout out, you can send it to us. uh, Halloween pictures, Easter bunny pictures, Santa pictures. I take all photos, photos of your happy place. And of course, pod pets. Send me your pod pet pics. And if you don't have a pet, you can send an acute adoptable pet available in your area. All right. We're going to kick this off with Becky K. Pronouns she and her. Not really a correction, just a name pronunciation. <laughs> PA resident here. Robert Jubilrier, prominent Republican, now endorsing Dem Josh Shapiro for governor against insurrectionist right-wing radical cultist Doug Mastriano. His name has always been pronounced Jubilier in news reports I've heard over the years. Keep fighting the fash, beans queens. Thank you. Thank you, Becky Kay. Jubilier. Sounds fun. Anyway. Next up from Alice, pronouns she and her. Hey, y'all, I have a happy pride story from this year. I attended San Francisco's Trans March, and I attend it every year. And for those who are unfamiliar with the Trans March, it's an event that happens on the Friday before Pride, where the attendees hang out in the Mission Dolores Park during the day, and in the evening, march down Market Street to the former site of Compton's Cafeteria, a historic landmark for trans people and trans rights. This year, the Trans March was on June 24th, the day SCOTUS gutted Roe. Halfway down the route, we collided with pro-abortion protests heading the other direction. They joined up with us and continued marching with us, all of us chanting trans rights, reproductive rights, one struggle, one fight, the rest of the way to the end of the march. This was a very happy ending to an extremely rough June for me, and I'm glad there was some good out there that day. And of course, as pet tax, I submit Matilda, our flumpus of a cocker spaniel, enjoying some sleep on my brand new mattress. Believe it or not, she's actually comfortable laying like that. Alice, that's so powerful. That's so fucking cool. Trans rights, reproductive rights, one struggle, one fight. Oh, look at this dog. (laughs) Helix knows there's a mattress for everybody and everyone's unique. And this dog likes to sleep like a pretzel. And uh, Helix has a mattress for you. Next up from Terry, pronouns she and her. Hello, ladies. I just have one thing to point out. Even though it's wonderful that a group of Republicans are supporting Josh Shapiro for governor of PA, they're encouraging Republicans to vote for him. But all other Republicans down the ticket, including Dr. Oz for Senate. So let's not give him too many props. Given that the PA Senate just did a sneak vote to add an abortion ban as a constitutional amendment can't be vetoed. 
I, for one, would prefer no Republican win. Terry, you're right. That was so fucking gross in the middle of the night. And I watched uh, Malcolm Kenyatta's speech and, and there's a couple other speeches in there that were just, oh, we need that kind of energy. We need it at the federal level. And, and I just, my heart breaks for PA. Terry goes on to say, thanks for making the news a little less infuriating for pet tax. I'm including a picture of my best friend, Jinx, the dog and her bodyguard, Bubba, the cat. Jinx just had her second ACL surgery in eight months. We, we have to do leash walks around the yard and Bubba follows along like he's protecting. He protect. He's protecting her. It's so funny. Oh, look at these babies. I love a good protection kitty. That's so sweet. Thank you for that, Terry. And it's a very good point. I mean, you know, we take the help where we can get it, but we got to make sure we know who we're dealing with. These same people would have, were they in the legislature and PA, would have happily voted for that abortion ban constitutional amendment. Next up from Anonymous, no pronouns given, things old people say. Does anyone else hear rapid test as rabbit test? which was the pregnancy test in my youth (laughs) or social distancing as social dancing. (laughs) No, I've never heard of a rabbit test. I didn't know that that makes sense. Right. Cause you breed like a rabbit. That was the pregnancy test, a rabbit test. Huh? Anyone else hear it that way? Let us know. Again, you can send that in at dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact Halloween pictures. I sent in the granddaughter and cat last Halloween. Now that cat has turned into a pumpkin. Oh, look at the baby. (laughs) Thank you so much for that. These photos anonymous are so, so cute. Look at the kitty. Oh, all right. Next up from Hedda Ray, pronouns she and her. I've been trying to get my child more used to being around other children in preparation for his first day at school. And this started with play dates with a friend whose child is similar in age. We started with one of my friends who worked in healthcare and took the pandemic seriously from the beginning. Excellent. I know my friend makes liberal use of swearing. And rather than attempting not to say swear words in front of her daughter, she approached it by teaching her child code switching. Huh. There's school words and then there's home words. Earlier in the pandemic, when her family was driving by in the car, they would point to people who weren't wearing masks in public places and call them assholes. Not like shouted at the people, just Doing the asshole count as part of checks for which places may be safe or less safe to go. Today at the play date, we overheard her child saying to my son, you're playing with it like an asshole. (laughs) Her mom and I exchanged looks and she called her daughter over to talk to her about it. She encouraged her daughter to use school words around other friends, explained that her friends were not assholes, and then asked her daughter what the word asshole meant. Her daughter whimpered, someone who doesn't wear a mask in public. At that point, she reassured her daughter that my son was not an asshole and that he does wear a mask in public. She was greatly reassured and agreed that he was not an asshole. I was laughing on the inside while trying to keep a serious parent face the whole time. That's the hardest thing, Hattaray. I have a goddaughter and I remember one time she just came cruising around the corner at the age of like three and slipped on socks on the hardwood floor and ate shit. And I was trying so hard. I mean, she was fine, but I was trying hard not to laugh. Praise to the beans for being our lifeline to hear the news with all the swearing it deserves. Thank you. For pet tax, here's Ruth Bader Ginsburg doing her best attempt at camouflage. 
The blanket was freshly washed and folded in preparation for summer storage. But of course, she claimed it first. Yes, that's how they work. Look. Uh, hi, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Looks very soft and fluffy. Beautiful calico. Thank you for that photo. Thank you for these stories. Thank you for the pronunciation help, especially with Pennsylvania words. <laughs> I'm from Ohio. You'd think I would, you know, we're close. We're neighbors. You'd think I would know these things. But to be fair, I left when I was eight. You know, I had to get out of there. So anyway, if you have anything you want to send in to us, please, please, please do keep me company this week. You can do it by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. I know we're going to have a lot more news. Just one more sleep till that committee hearing. Um, I might be going up to L.A. for Thursday's hearing. If there is a primetime hearing, I don't know. I'll let you know. But uh, I'll be live tweeting again. Follow me at Mueller. She wrote on Twitter. It's free to do so. You don't have to pay to follow me. I'm not weird. Anyway, thank you very much. Uh, It's been wonderful. I will be back tomorrow in your ears with more news with swearing. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. And vote blue over Q. I've been A.G. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>